the mind behind master-slave lifestyle. What makes a good master or a bad master? And what is the difference between a noble or a vile slave? And do you know the difference? Discover your warrior, magician, lover, and king. Journey into the light and shadow of master-slave relationships and how this can allow you to go deeper than you ever thought you could. A new series of episodes released every month between the interviews. What's your shadow? What's your ball to the dark side? Hello everyone, so just a quick editor's note. I unexpectedly found myself in hospital having an operation over last month. And this has meant there's been a delay to all of the podcast episodes. So I do apologize for there being a delay from what I originally said. You might also find that the sound in this episode does change a little bit as part of it was recorded before my emergency surgery and after and my voice might be a little different. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. In the last episode of Light and Shadow, we covered Master as a Warrior. In this episode, we shall cover Slave as a Warrior. This is a new series of episodes released alternatively with the interviews, and in it we'll define what is good and bad with the master-slave relationship. There are primal energies within us all that can be used to explain the intensity of the master-slave relationship. And in this series of episodes, we're going to use Jungian male archetypes to help explain the master-slave connection. The archetypes are king, warrior, magician, and lover. And in this episode, I'm going to be covering a slave as a warrior. At first glance, it might seem strange to think of a slave as a warrior. But as we go through this episode, we'll see how strong the warrior is within the slave and how harnessing the warrior within us helps us to become truly extraordinary. In the last episode, I spoke about the warrior, a man of integrity, a person trained to become the best that they can be, who gives up on material goods for higher cause and trains to perfection and uses their warrior skills to carry out their purpose. Warriors that gave their lives to the higher purpose include someone from Greek legends such as Hercules or Jason of the Argonauts. But you've also got the idea of a knight heading on to a crest, such as the King Arthur legends. Over this episode, we will go over the attributes of slave as a warrior. We'll go a bit deeper into the shadow of the warrior and how this manifests for slaves. Slave as a warrior can be broken down into several areas. The first one is the action taker. The warrior can also be known as the action taker. It's the part of ourselves that helps us to achieve our purpose. For slaves, one of the purposes we have is to serve a master. And if we do not have a master, to try and find one. Slaves generally trying to find a master, taking concrete actions, are strongly using their warrior. However, there are many slaves that do not move forward and do not take action. For example, they might frequently talk online, sometimes opening a profile to talk intently before deleting it after a few days because of the shame and self-doubt that comes. Others might talk, always too scared to take the next step, 
but not doing anything to try and overcome that fear. Quite often, these slaves will have a weak warrior. Either they struggle to take action to achieve finding their master, or their shame has deflated their warrior so it can no longer take action. And this is why a master can find slaves that disappear and who change their minds. It is in the strengthening of the warrior part of ourselves that we can move forward. This is why it can be a very good test for a master to check with a slave to ask them to do some tasks. This could be simple, for instance, provide me three options for a coffee shop to meet up um, so we can then have a conversation or use this link to book a meeting with me. You'd be amazed at how few people want to do even these small tasks and this can be an amazing filtering mechanism to all out slaves whose action taker or warrior might not be strong enough to mean that they're going to move forward to actually meeting you or having some sort of relationship. Another aspect of the slave as a warrior is to serve well. The warrior part of ourselves allows us to serve masters well, to improve our service to them, be it domestic, sexual, BDSM, or in some other area of our lives. As a master, this is also the part that allows you to learn how to use a flogger or some other technique while in controlling and training the slave. As slaves, our warrior selves can have a strong need to serve a master's will and in doing so find completion and centeredness that we can struggle to find on our own. We all have warriors inside us and it's the king part of ourselves, the king archetype that can harness our warrior to be most effective. This is something I shall cover later in the King episode. What is important to distinguish with a slave is that often we want another man, a master, to be the king we serve. So our warrior self wants another master to direct and shape us. Whereas for a master and for people who are not slaves, their warriors serve their own king rather than another person. So it's the master's direction that gives our slave warrior the purpose to move forward and take action. But there's a catch. There's a contradiction here. So as slaves, our warriors work better when serving a master. But we must be strong warriors to take action to find that master. So unless we strengthen our own warrior without a master, how can we find someone? So as slaves, we must learn to grow and harness the warrior within us to find our master and to have that inner strength to understand who we are and to move to live our authentic selves as a slave. Otherwise, we will never do it. Another aspect of slave as a warrior is a higher cause. Slaves carry considerable warrior energy with them and a warrior will give up on materialist things for a higher cause. In the case of the slave, they can give up things for the master. At its simplest, a slave gives up power and control to a master so the master can shape them. But depending on the form of slavery and the relationship, a slave may give up on many other things as well. This can include not wearing clothes, sleeping in a cage or on the floor, eating from a bowl, eating different food, chastity, not owning many possessions. The slave will give up on many things in service for the master. Giving up on things and items most people take for granted for can sound very barren, but often a slave has a deep need to do this 
and seeks in return the benefit and joy of serving a higher cause, in this case, the service to a master. Last year, I slept in what was known as a crawl space for two months with the masters I was serving, and I was perfectly content to do so. It actually helped me feel more joy as a slave. It wasn't something that I really felt I was giving up. It felt I was more gaining something. Another example of this is from the recent Dune movie that came out. At one point, there's the warrior Duncan who's returned from a trip after visiting the tribal people of on the planet. He is a warrior of explicit skill, but now they're back in the soldiers' barracks. You just see the simple functional space that they all live and operate in. There's not much space for personal items. It's a very simple life. There, the soldiers focus on protecting and adding to the greatness of house a trade is. Like a warrior, a slave may also wear a uniform. Examples are wearing no clothes, wearing chains, irons, wrist cuffs, collars, a chastity device, jock straps, butt plugs. This is just a selection of items I wanna give as an example that a master might choose for a slave to wear or not wear to symbolize their slavery and service. Another part of slave as a warrior is strength. A slave often needs to have a significant degree of strength, often more than the master, and that strength is used for many things. Strength to give up on worldly things that someone in mainstream society might not just want but need. A slave taking pain in service for the master is another example of strength. It is an act of service for someone, and the slave can take great joy in the service to that master. Not all slaves are masochists and have sexual pleasure when experiencing pain, but quite often slaves can experience pleasure in, in taking pain in their master's service. When training a slave, there are many times where the master can create a more intense experience to help the slave move to a deeper level of experience. And these experiences often require strength. But when we talk about strength, we also talk about the slave's strength of will to become a slave. In Western society, the ideal man is the alpha male. Western society looks down on men who want to serve and put someone else first. And so it takes tremendous strength and courage for a slave to embrace their need to submit and serve someone. Something that we all need to work to create and that we can all achieve. It also takes a strength of will to give up control to someone. When you strip back the fantasy, giving up control to someone else and taking the slave warrior path requires unique strength of will. Finally, growing, reflecting and developing based on good and bad experiences takes a strength of will which is essential on the pathway to slave real mastery. Another aspect of slave as a warrior is discipline. This again relates to the strength. A slave is trained to become the best they can be, like a warrior soldier training. A slave practices and trains to improve and provide the best service they can achieve. An example is when slaves are under a protocol. In relationships where protocol is used, a high standard of training and perfection is expected from the slave, similar to the training of a warrior or soldier. Often a slave enjoys and needs this training and discipline. In a non-protocol example, I have found when a master requires me to do well at the gym, I often work and perform much better than on my own. In general, a slave will work hard to improve and develop based on his master's directions. 
This can be learning how a master works to provide a better service. It could be learning new BDSM techniques, or it can be learning a new skill at work and making the master proud. Another example to give is Jeeves the Butler from the books. Discipline also relates to living a life of service where you give up on worldly things. For instance, I gave some examples earlier about how a slave might sleep or eat differently. An analogy is to think of a warrior living in a bunker or a soldier's barracks or a monk living in a monastery. Both have more ascetic lifestyles that require discipline. Another aspect of slave as a warrior is boundaries. Boundaries are a vital part of the warrior archetype and this does include slaves. A slave must clearly understand their boundaries and state this to the master, including physical and mental limits. Physical limits of what we negotiate for a scene. What do we allow from a master or a top and what do we not? For example, what size dildo, if any? Or what sort of pain can we take? For example, do we allow tit torture? The slave needs to be verbal about their limits during a session. Often masters will have a way for a slave to communicate this. If a slave gets to the edge of their limits, they need to communicate this to the master. And a slave must be clear and verbal when a limit is reached. Uh, for instance, I quite like using the traffic light system where green is good, yellow is uncomfortable, but continue but be careful, and red is a stop. I found this really useful because in the slave role, I can communicate to the master where I am and the master can adapt and change. This way we don't ever really have to reach a red and the master remains in control rather than me suddenly coming in and having to stop. A slave's mental limits are as important. What control is acceptable and what is not? Does the slave want to give up everything to the master? A slave must use the warrior energy to understand their boundaries and what connection is appropriate for them and what is unhealthy. Shadow masters out there believe they can ignore a slave's limits. It is appropriate in this situation for a slave to use their warrior energy to protect and defend themselves vigorously. It's never okay for a master to override limits on a slave because they feel they can ignore those limits. If someone is starting this journey, they might not know their boundaries. In this situation, the slave's role is to experiment and explore to find them out. They do this by choosing experiences with people that are happy to take on a new person and to help them explore, not to find the most intense experience possible and then find out that they don't like it. But there is a bit of a tension here as well. In existing master-slave relationships, it can be the case that you do want to push a slave's limits so they, they can take more, they can do a little bit more. And this is consensually agreed between the two. Can also be the case in total power exchange that the master is deliberately overriding the ego of and the slave to make them more open to their orders. And in the end, trying to create a situation where the slave will always say, yes, they will obey without hesitation. There can be times when you override those limits that the slave is going to be angry. And that anger is something that will be expected if you're starting to override the ego in some way. But then there are times when the master is overriding the boundaries of the slave in a way that's not consensual and is not healthy. And the slave will feel anger and the slave needs to be able to defend themselves. And this is the contradiction. 
because you can have some masses that will say a slave must never get angry, that they must accept everything. And then there are other people that will use the title master who are actually shadow masters and they would override and ignore the consent of the slave. And so there must be the case that it is okay for the slave to be angry. And then when the slave has found their master, it might be the case that they need to let go of that anger in order to allow the master to take more control over them. I think the issue is, is when a master expects a slave to never be angry, not understanding the situations that might be outside of that relationship. That means that anger does need to be there so the slave can protect themselves. And yet, inside the relationship, it might get in the way from the control that both master and slave have consensually agreed. And so this is the tension point. I don't have a right answer or wrong answer here, other than this tension exists and everyone should be aware of it. And rather than judging or saying it's right or wrong, to understand the fullness, the holistic situation of what exists for a slave both inside and outside of a relationship, so they can adapt and choose the best approach. We've just discussed slave as a warrior, and we're now going to go into the, the shadow slave as a warrior. Let's just review what we mean by the shadow again. So we all have emotional wounds from being hurt in childhood, from trauma, from the shame we've experienced as gay men, along with potentially wanting to be a master or slave. The shadow is where you put the parts of yourself that are not welcome. And this includes thoughts, feelings and behaviours. You can think of ourselves arriving into the world on clouds of glory. We come just as we were meant to be. But then over time as children, we learn that we must suppress part of ourselves in order to maximize that love um, from our parents. And so the parts that are not welcome, we put into the shadow. And these parts of the shadow can impact us hugely in later life. As gay men, we've put a lot into the shadow at different points in order to be accepted. And this can lead to repeated patterns of behaviors, emotions that are not healthy. As masters and slaves, we also have pulls to the shadow as part of our lifestyle. Places where we might not want to go. But what is surprising is some of these places can be very compelling. Rather than a place that has warning signs and some Jaws movie music in the background, it can be something that's incredibly compelling to us. I often think of masters and slaves dancing on a cliff. Some of us dance very well away from the edge, but others of us that like to go very deep dance very close to that edge. But if we do want to go deep and we want to play with these primal energies, we've got to be aware that the closer we dance to the edge of the cliff, the more of the pull we can have to some of our shadow aspects of the master slave. And so to protect ourselves and others, that we choose to have relationship with, we must be aware of our own pulls to the shadow and where we might wanna give in and jump off that cliff. Now, one of the biggest shadows is not wanting to exist. And this can be a large part of the slave shadow. We as slaves hear that we have no right to exist. What we want is wrong. Society tells us that our wants, our needs are wrong, that how we wish to live is wrong. That's a true and authentic part of our identity is wrong. And so rather than embracing this natural, true and authentic part of ourselves, we suppress it into the shadow. We can do this in many ways. 
can be ignoring and suppressing these needs, telling ourselves that we are wrong to want this, to going into the feeling of shame. But let's say we do want to come out and start embracing our slave selves, we can still struggle. And even if we're on the fetish scene, we can struggle if we do not quite fit in, as this can impact the confidence of who we are. As although the gay fetish scene is growing, sometimes it's hard to find masters and slaves or people that want to engage in a more serious way with it. We also have masters and there are many shadow masters out there that will often take their own insecurities out on a slave to say that we're weak and wrong, that how we're thinking is wrong, that our existing in the way we are is wrong. And of course, if we already have this bias to think, should I exist like this or not? This pushes us even further. I want to spend a moment to comment on how master and slave can also fight to exist in a different way. So when I was originally learning about slavery and becoming a 24 seven slave, I was taught that I needed to sacrifice most of myself to become a slave, that my human self should not exist and was not welcome. Only the slave self was okay. This can be a turn on. This can be something that sounds amazing because we can move into this simple mindset. But in practice, what this actually did was to create an archetypal battle inside me in which what part should exist or not. As of course, when part of ourselves is told it should not exist, it will fight back. And if we suppress the slave part of ourselves, the slave self will fight back. But if we try and embrace the slave self at the expense of our ego or our humanity, this will fight back instead. This is because we're trying to put another part of ourselves in the shadow. For myself, after time, and after a lot of challenge, what I learned is that all parts of myself can exist. It's not about choosing human or slave, but allowing them all to be there. Now, as someone who wants to be a 24-7 slave, I would like to move my slave self to be more primary than some of my other human aspects. But it's not that my human aspects need to die or be repressed. They can still be there and celebrate it. Once I realized this, this archetypal battle inside me stopped. And what has been surprising is that all of my different parts in psychology would call this ego states, but all of the different voices inside me have started to help each other and the greater part of myself in achieving one of my purposes, which is in serving a man. A question you can ask yourself is, where do you have issues with accepting yourself, either as a person, as a man, or as a master or slave? And do you find yourself invalidating others? And if you do, perhaps you're projecting an issue that you have onto others. Another part of the shadow that's worth mentioning briefly is what's known as the warrior wound. So there are people that can have a very strong warrior wound. And often these are people who have been subject to manipulation from a very manipulative master, normally someone that has a strong magician inside them. Again, magician is something we'll talk about in a later episode. Often people with a warrior wound, which have been subjected to highly manipulative abuse from highly skilled magicians or even persecutors, these are people who have had their minds played with and exploited by having their physical, sexual or psychological 
boundary is crossed, these people will often have a warrior wound. Toxic master-slave relationships can do this. For example, to make a slave no longer protest against anything. This can be an amazing turn on fantasy and there might be some people that consensually agree to this. But for some, what has been consensually agreed and enjoyed might be unacceptable to another master-slave couple. You must decide what's acceptable to you. Toxic master-slave relationships can do this, where you've basically manipulated a slave to no longer protest against anything, to be so divorced against their needs or joy, you can do what you want to them. But this often creates a huge warrior wound within the slave that then they themselves have to heal or later on another master needs to help them in healing. And this is why I wanted to mention it here. One is you need to make sure you're consensually agreeing to the right boundaries being crossed. Let's say if you want boundaries being crossed or you protect yourself and don't. But then it's really important that if you do come across someone that does have a warrior wound, this is not because that person is broken. It's because they were abused by someone who was a shadow master. Let us go a bit more specific into how the shadow slave as a warrior can bring up some very specific shadow state. The first one is the boundless. So a slave must watch out for having no boundaries. Any slave has mental and physical boundaries and a slave should know what they are. Although a no limit slave is a sexy thought, this only comes from intense consensual training not from a slave who's been manipulated into agreeing to it, or one it was done to without them understanding what was occurring. A slave can decide to be trained by a master they trust to remove these limits slowly, but it should only be done with a master they have good trust with. To seek out no limits with someone can lead to abuse unless you're careful. It's also worth bringing up slaves and anger here. A key emotion to connect to the warrior is anger. Feeling anger is a sign that a line or boundary has been crossed. But should slaves feel anger? My experience has been that anger is, is not a welcome attribute in a slave. It goes against the idea such as submission and giving up power for another person's will. And when a master consensually reduces a slave's ego, anger can be a natural reaction to these boundaries being eroded. A sign of success is when a slave stops feeling angry. And when a master consensually reduces a slave's ego, anger can be a natural reaction to those boundaries being eroded. A sign of success is when a slave stops feeling angry. They've basically reached a new level of submission here. Yet suppose we repress the anger of a slave too much. In that case, we end up with someone that cannot defend themselves when they need to, especially against a shadow master or someone in mainstream society that would be happy to take advantage of a slave's personality. Therefore, allowing healthy anger when a boundary is crossed is essential for a healthy slave psyche. In doing so, a slave can still articulate their needs and defend themselves when needed. When anger is repressed, we can become deflated, that no matter what happens to us, we do not react. This might be the ultimate dream of a 24-7 slave, but what we're saying here is no matter how awful the transgression or the boundary being crossed by the master, all is okay. This describes a toxic relationship. 
A master-slave relationship may consensually agree to push past boundaries and limits, or even reduce them, but this usually creates a healthy master-slave relationship where the slave is open and submissive to the master. But a relationship that destroys all boundaries, that moves a slave into a dissociated state, a bit like being in a dentist chair, this is not healthy. Often in a master-slave relationship, especially a deep one, a slave will open up more to the master and let the boundaries go. But when that relationship finishes, the slave needs to reclaim themselves again. This includes their appearance, their boundaries and their identity. Often a slave in this position is discovering who they are and what their boundaries are. When I broke up with my master in 2017 and later that year, another master offered to mentor me to help me heal. I gracefully said no because at this point I did not want another master in my head. Essentially, I'd reached a point that I'd created some stronger boundaries to reclaim and understand myself. Whereas if I'd been asked that immediately after I had broken up with the master, I would have said yes. Another aspect of the shadow slave as a warrior is what I like to call the nihilist or the nihilist. Now the basis of the word nihilism comes from the Latin ni nihil. I'm sure I have not said that correctly. And that word means nothing. I use this word as some slaves can feel the pull to give up on all boundaries and to live as an extension of their master. For some, it is to be transformed and dehumanized, to become nothing. A slave with this desire must have solid boundaries and protection to ensure that they do not serve a shadow master or give too much of themselves too quickly. This is the opposite of the master shadow around dehumanization that I mentioned in the previous episode. Just as a master wants to forget about the slave's needs and treat the slave as an object, a slave can have a similar calling to want to be that object. But in both cases, there needs to be limits and boundaries about how much is taken and given so the master and slave do not fall into the shadow. This often requires good communication between both master and slave that want to go into very deep control to make sure that they're both having their needs fulfilled and neither is moving into the dark side. I myself have an extreme desire to give myself to master in a very nihilistic way where, where I destroy all of myself to serve a master. But over time I've learned to set some boundaries to protect myself. Three of the main ones are my health. Will my health be looked after? How happy or not will I be? I'm choosing this sort of life not to suffer but to feel fulfilled. If a master does not want a happy slave or does not care if I'm happy, are they the right masters for me? Probably not. And is the master happy to honestly communicate about what life would be like with him? You'd be amazed at how many people like to provide vague answers. For myself, I view these masters as suspects, as if they cannot give a clear answer to the question around what life with them is going to be like. What are they trying to hide? Any person who has this pull for nihilism needs to create boundaries that protect themselves, both from finding a relationship and an inner relationship. But what is appropriate or not is based on the individual master and slave to decide. What might be appropriate for one master slave might not be appropriate for another. 
I suggest that any slave who wants to serve intensely should have explicit boundaries for themselves. When a situation comes up where a boundary is crossed or is going to be crossed, the slave must decide whether to move that boundary or keep it. It's critical for the slave to explicitly think about it and take responsibility. So this should not be done in the heat of the moment or in an intense scene. Of course, at those points, it's easy to say yes. But when you're in a calmer, more objective place and a master says they want to push past a boundary, to really think about it and go, is this something I want to do or not? It's perfectly okay that you might have boundaries that you set to protect yourself at the start of a relationship or at the start of seeing a master, but as you've grown to trust them more, you're happier to move those boundaries. But it can be times that you're happy to keep them because there's not enough trust there or there's another reason. Suppose you decide to go more extreme. You must educate yourselves on the risks and issues. If you do decide to dance very close to that cliff edge with your boundaries, you must take great care not to slip in and fall into the abyss. Another aspect of the shadow slave as a warrior is the perfecter. Previously, I've mentioned how a slave wants to be trained to be as good as possible. This can move to the shadow of perfection when nothing is ever good enough, no matter how much work or effort is put in. In a career sense, this can be the leader or manager who wants to work themselves to burnout to be the best, but they destroy the rest of their life in the process. As a slave, we can slip into the shadow of perfection where no matter what we do, it is never good enough. Once when I started to date my Berlin master, we headed to a bar in Berlin called Munchmann's. While there, he took me down to the dark room into a private cubicle, and there I served him, and we had a truly fantastic experience. Later on, when we were back upstairs, at one point, I found myself crying at his feet. I had felt that my service to him was insufficient, no matter how much I had tried. As I said this to him, he then paused for more than an average period of time before saying in his beautiful baritone voice, no slave, that was good, that was very good. I didn't, I don't need anything more from you. He then gave me a hug and I moved from tears to happiness. This is an example of how the shadow of perfection can start for a slave. Those of us that want to please always want to become better and do more, and that's a noble and good intention. But when we fall into shadow, when we look at everything we do as not being good enough, and we place our realistic expectations on ourselves, the thought of not being good enough turns into a repeatable pattern. When it keeps repeating, when it turns into a habit, this is when the slave has entered into that shadow of perfection. Masters can also push a slave into this space. A master can push the slave to be better. But when the slave reaches a milestone, rather than rewarding and validating the slave, the master will change the milestone and push the slave to the next milestone instead or dismiss the achievement only by asking why couldn't they have done better. This can lead to an overriding cycle, a joyless venture where nothing is ever good enough a tunnel with no end, as a slave will never be able to please the master who always asks for more, rather than rewarding the slave for how far they've already come. So over the episode, we've spoken about slave as a warrior. We've gone a bit deeper into the warrior shadow state and then how slave 
as a shadow warrior can manifest itself. I'm now going to discuss some actions about how a slave can grow their warrior. These actions can be done by anyone, master or slave. The main action, I would say, is know who you are and to have your own boundaries. The warrior self often feels angry when our boundaries are transgressed. But if you struggle to know who you are, how can you know your boundaries? In my coaching, I often advise people to understand their values and strengths, to understand their needs, and to understand their beliefs and convictions. Most of us already have these, even if you don't feel you know them, but they're often hidden in your mind. By working with yourself to understand what they are, you can understand who you are and what you stand for. And once you know this, you can easily identify your boundaries. Alternatively, you can also think back to when you were angry with people in the past and objectively try and understand why you were angry and what that boundary of yours did that they broke. For example, do you value fairness and you felt someone's action was unfair or they mistreated you? Or perhaps you prize integrity in someone and felt their actions were unintegral. Once you explicitly know and understand your boundaries, you can enforce them. When someone goes over your boundaries, you can push back and correct the person. I've coached many people on this and there can be a lot of nervousness about enforcing your boundaries and this often can come from the fear of being rejected. You need to think that if you want to continue to have a relationship with someone who would reject you for enforcing your boundaries, especially if it's the same person who's regularly making you angry or feeling bad, that is this a good person to have a friendship with? I'll be honest, some friendships and relationships can struggle during this stage when someone's suddenly learning their boundaries and some can end. But people end up being far happier as they find themselves in relationships, be it friendships with friends or with master and slaves, with people who respect their boundaries. A large part of my coaching is often helping people to understand who they are, including their boundaries and how they can live their lives with integrity. So if you do need help with this, please get in touch. You'll find the details in the show notes. For more actions on how to work on your warrior and to find out more, you can purchase a book I've written called Light and Shadow at masterslavelifestyle.com book. You can also take a free quiz to test your own life and shadow at masterslavelifestyle.com slash quiz. You can also support the podcast by becoming a Patreon member while also getting early access to all of the podcast episodes. In the next episode, we're going to be covering one of my favorite subjects, which is Master as a Magician. Thank you.